Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show podcast. I am Isaiah Henkel with Cheeky Scientist, your host. And today we will be talking with Anne-Marie Siegel about mastering behavioral interview questions. A very good show today, so make sure you stay tuned and listen to the whole show. Um, as always, if you want to learn more about transitioning into industry as a PhD, you can go to PhDs gethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. And we'll send you complete information about our PhD uh, job search blueprint, as well as our PhD only job referral network that has helped thousands and thousands of PhDs get hired into top industry jobs. If you want to get this podcast, as well as our blog articles sent to you weekly, you can go to our website, cheekyscientist.com, and sign up on our homepage. You can also find us on iTunes um, and subscribe to us there uh, on our podcast. So without any further ado, we're going to jump in here with Anne-Marie Siegel and talk about mastering behavioral interview questions. Anne-Marie Siegel uh, on with us today. Thank you very much. And she's on video with us uh, today. So please do me a favor and welcome Anne. Thank her for her time. Uh, she has you know, written a lot on, on this topic and we're going to dive into it today. And I'm going to um, do a quick intro of her background because uh, she has accomplished quite a lot. Uh, so while I do the, the, the background, please welcome her. Please say hi to her in the chat box. Uh, so Anne is a, she's a frequent public speaker. Uh, she is an executive coach and a writer for attorneys, executives, and entrepreneurs. She is the founder of Seagull Coaching. See? Uh, and Marie has worked with hundreds of professionals on career transitions, advancement, job interview preparation, leadership, resume writing, and personal branding. Um, she has presented to the United Nations, um, the University of Chicago, and the Association of Corporate Counseling, among among other organizations. And, and how I first learned about Anne's work was in an article on Forbes. Uh, so she's, you know, her work is extensive and has crosses all bounds in terms of career development, job search, and uh, audiences as well. Uh, her first book, Master the Interview, A Guide for Working Professionals, which I've read and is amazing because Anne sent it to me. So thanks again for that. If I actually I have it here. I'll show it to everybody uh, at the end. Great book, Master, Master the Interview, A Guide for Working Professionals, uh, published in October 2016, and it helps readers grow their networking and job interview skills. Uh, she is currently completing her second book on developing a personal value proposition for career advancement and transition, which will be published in the fall of 2007. And I love that because we we talked a little bit about personal value proposition, and it's something we covered. Oh, look at let's let's see it. Is that the is that an early copy? This is an advanced copy. Yep. Wow. So that's the new book coming out next month. That's Go ahead. Exciting. No, no, I love it because I read one of your articles, and it's what really put me on the track of talking about personal value propositions. Of course, there's other names, you know, unique value proposition, same thing. For those of you who are listening, we we. We have a, a section on this in the scientist, our Scientist MBA program. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited for, for that book. So stay on the lookout for that in the fall. So September, fall, or like October, November? Probably September 8th, September 11th, somewhere around there. So pretty soon. Wow, really soon. Great. Well, good timing. Um, so Anne, is, uh, she's a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, writes on career and resume topics at Forbes.com, and has been quoted on CNBC and other media outlets. Uh, she has been admitted to practice law in New York and Connecticut. Uh, she holds a JD from New York University School of Law, um, an NA, MA from Art History uh, from the University of Chicago, and a BA in Fine Arts from Loyola. Loyola, am I saying that right? Loyola. Yo, Loyola. 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 That's fine. Wow. Nobody needs 
to know all this. Chicago <laughs> as well. Uh, she's also a certified career management coach and certified professional resume writer. No, it's important because we're talking to an elite expert in the field. We're very, very fortunate to have her on published uh, all you know several books specifically on this. Uh, a lot of content online on this. If you look up, if you look up uh, Anne's uh, name online, you'll see many of her articles. I learn a lot from her. Thank you, Anne, for being here. Thank you. One thing to note, though, is that we are going to focus on behavioral interview questions. And this is one of our first webinars specifically on behavioral interview questions. And it's a place that a lot of PhDs get stuck. And I'll just tell you this, Anne, quickly before I ask the first question. The kind of tough questions that, that PhDs get are point blank, you know, because they want to rattle them a little bit. They'll, they'll say, why are you quitting academia? Or right. why are you, uh, you know, why are you giving up on your PhD? Or why do you want this job? And all the other questions that we'll go into. Um, but very often, PhDs are not used to that. It, can, it comes off as abrasive, as I'm sure it does for others. Um, but that's one of the reasons that we really wanted to focus on behavioral interviews uh, questions here. Um, but for those of you who don't know, maybe I can start by asking, what is, in your definition, a behavioral interview question? Sure. So behavioral interview questions, the name really gives you a sense of what they are, right? They're, they're looking to see how you would act in a certain situation. So essentially your behavior. It's instead of, of talking about a specific accomplishment, it's what you did to reach that accomplishment or how that all played out. It's really trying to un uncover your character because no one can say, do you have a strong work ethic? Or if they did in an interview, you would, what would you say? Yes. Yes, of course I do. That doesn't really yield information. So behavioral interview questions, you're right. Sometimes there are interviewers that try to rattle candidates. And in fact, if you Google behavioral interview questions, you'll see there's an endless number of ways they can ask the same type of question. I'm sure we'll get into that further. Mm. But they're looking to see something about you and how you would behave in certain situations. Hmm. Yeah, and that, I think that's the key takeaway. The goal uh, or the purpose of a behavioral interview question is to see how you would behave in certain situations. And you you alluded to this, and maybe you know I'll go off script a little bit, but digging deeper, why would they want to see how you behave in certain situations, right? Because in an interview, they don't have time. An interview process doesn't take two months where they can really see the real you, right? right. So maybe you can speak to why that's important from an employer standpoint to see how you would behave. Right. So it's interesting as job candidates, we're so focused on our end. We're so focused on, you know, I want to get a job. Why is it taking so long? Why do they need to ask me all these questions? But if you turn it around and you think about the perspective of the employer, they're going to hire you. There's an opportunity cost. You're going to pass on other candidates and then they're going to pay you a huge sum of money. Mm. And once you're in the position, it's hard to get rid of you. And of course, you don't want that to happen either. So the idea is, how can we really dig into this candidate? How can we really understand them so that we know that the risk we're taking is as small as we can make it? There's always a risk when you're hiring. Mm. But yeah. they're trying to understand if you're a fit, if you're a fit intellectually, if you're a fit culturally. If you can do the job, and and most importantly, and I know it, I you had some questions you sent me in advance, and, and there'll certainly be more. But yes. one of your questions about transferable skills, and an important important 
if, if people only hear this and, and don't hear the rest of it, they really need to understand this. If you're in academia, it's very different than being in industry. You need to be focused on results in industry. And I know that at Cheeky Scientists, they talk about this quite a bit. Isaiah, I know you talk about this. Um, but results-oriented is certainly one skill that really you need to be able to demonstrate. So we can get into that further. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good, a good point. And, and for those of you listening, there's all of these different things that they're evaluating you on, including your results, your accomplishments. But with, when it comes to behavioral interview questions, they're assessing your behavior tied to that overall. And they need to look at your behavior because they're not going to get to see much of your behavior before you join. Yeah, you can answer any question like Anne said in the beginning, do you have a good work ethic? Yes. Okay, well, that doesn't assess your behavior. doesn't assess how you're going to handle stress, how you're going to handle conflict. Um, so that's really the point of behavioral interview questions like Anne said. Um, okay, so we know what a behavioral inter interview question is. Once you're in the interview, though, and you're in the heat of the moment at a site visit, let's say, or you know, you're going to talk to seven or eight people that day, how do you identify a behavioral question? So they're often couched in terms of how would you approach or what, what would you do or what happens in a certain situation. They're focused on successes and failures, and they're focused on they're situational, mm -hmm. right? So they're trying to set up something and understand how you would act. And so you, you think about it in that way. Mm, right. So something that is uh, prompting you to explain how you would handle a situation. Right. right? So the start of it might be, how would you approach this? Or how would you handle this? As simple as right. that. So looking for kind of those triggers to how they start the question. Right. It could also be an if question. If you had multiple priorities and weren't able to handle them all at one time, what would you do? Mm. Um, so it's not always how, right? But um, I don't want to keep people into a certain word and have them listening for the word. Sure. It's the theme of the question. Mm. Yeah, and so it, you know, and looking at these themes is important. And and really, themes aren't just important for questions, but also for your answers, because obviously right. you can't prepare for every single type of question exactly the way it is. Right? It's just like you, if you study for a test or like a math test can't just memorize the individual equations you have to memorize or understand the process right so if we talk about the process of answering these types of questions how should you approach answering a behavioral question so think about so I, I talked about being results oriented think about the results the company is hoping to achieve in general mm. and with respect to the role you'd be playing and so if you understand that you're deconstructing the interview that way, right? You're, you're saying, here's the end game, and I'm going to back into that. And the reason I set it up that way is you, your question, Isaiah, is how do you prepare yourself for these or think about them in, in a general way and be ready for them? Mm. You have to match up your accomplishments, experience, behavior, personality, et cetera, with the results they're hoping to achieve. And the better you can speak to the position, the requirements, the call of the job, the better your answer will be. Mm. And yeah, and you're you're bringing up a, uh, you're seeing, a, I guess, a pattern for those of you listening here. You want to approach it from your audience's point of view, not just from your point of view, but you want to think, what do what are they looking for? What is the culture they're trying to fit you into? What are the accomplishments they want you to achieve in this role? 
Um, that's what Anne's talking about here. And I really like the approach here for answering a behavioral question of thinking, starting at the end, right? What's the, the result of your answer that you can start with the accomplishment and then work backwards from there to build in things like your, your skills that led to being able to have that result? Right. And so an, an example, I mean, a common behavioral question, right? And maybe you, you know much more than I do on this, but one that we hear a lot in, in for PhDs is how to, you know, managing conflict, right? Tell us about a time when you had a really, you know, a bad conflict with somebody you currently work with. How did you handle it? What were the problems that it caused, right? This is a difficult to answer because you don't want to talk about problems that you had with other people uh, on the job. So maybe we can just do a kind of a walkthrough of how would you approach that in terms of starting with the result and then working backwards, like you said. Right, right. And I want to add on to something I said before. I was talking about successes and failures. And you, you, you actually, these are the words I was thinking of, and you put it in a better um, context, which is positives and negatives. Mm. Right? And so this is a question about a negative being presented to you and how you deal with it. It's con how do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with failure? All those things. It's how do you deal with the negative? The first thing I want to say is always, always, always have discretion on what you share about what happens at your employer. Mm. I'll say it again because it's so important. Yes. You want to make sure that you are not giving away the keys to the kingdom or saying something that will make the employer say, oh my gosh, if we hire this individual, what will they say about us? Yes. Absolutely. Right? So that's the first thing you need to have in mind when you're answering a question like this. So when you think about a conflict, it's not, oh, well, because, you know, the person who ran the department was so difficult and we had these three people who, you know, they were completely slacking off. And I mean, that's not the way to approach it, right? Yes. You have to be very sophisticated in your answer and show a level of maturity and judgment because those are two transferable skills that they're looking for. So this mm. all plays into it. So you haven't asked this question yet, and I think you probably will. And I probably rather answer this one first and get back to the conflict one, which is thinking about how you prepare generally for behavioral questions, and you want to be thinking about a discrete set of situations that you can use that are versatile for all these questions. Mm. And again, we can talk about that further, but to go back to your specific question, you would have your list of maybe four to six, three to five, if they were meaty enough, things that happen, you know, projects that you worked on or events in your career that you could, that, that were important that were successful and that had what I call meat. They had a, a lot of pieces in involved. And then you can be thinking, okay, so if I have these three or four different situations, which one was it where was there a conflict? Mm -hmm. And how do I address it? And then be thinking about again, what skills do you want to demonstrate mm -hmm. when you're talking about conflict resolution? And what level are you at? So is it appropriate to say that you engage certain individuals or that you handle that yourself? I mean, it's it's individualized in, in some ways as well. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you kind of zoomed out there. Um, so, you know, when talking about how to approach a behavioral interview question, just to recap what Ann said, you want to make a list and go through them and have a, a thorough understanding and an ability to tell the story of, three, four, five different scenarios that showcase key results you've achieved and 
key skills that you use to get those results, all of which, of course, are important to your audience, the employer. And if you have those in your head, you can always you can go back to them for almost any behavioral question because some part of it will apply. Because in every one of those stories, there's going to be a problem that needed to be overcome, your skills that allowed you to overcome it, and then a result, right? And so, you mine it for that, exactly. Yeah, and so then you just dig into that story for whatever the, for an answer that applies to the question that they ask. Is that correct? Right, and, and it also helps keep you focused on professional situations. Mm. Unless you don't have any work experience, you have very little, and you need to pull on volunteer or educational um, experiences, you want to be talking about professional experiences. The only time you wouldn't is if you're in a career transition, for example, moving out of science, which is not our topic here. Mm. Maybe you, if you're moving into marketing, for example, you might want to use an example related to that because, again, you're thinking about the results. But here, you have your core value proposition, the word we were using before, mm. and you have the benefits that, that they're looking for you to bring, and all of your answers should be revolving around that. Mm. And it makes it simpler to prepare, honestly, because you're not saying, okay, where are the 200, 500 questions they might possibly ask, and, and you're racing to try to memorize it like you're on a spelling bee or something, right? Mm. No, I agree completely. And so, again, for those of you listening, you know, we talk a lot about focusing on the methodology to answering questions, even just general questions, right? Whether it's, there's a lot of different techniques out there, right? Whether it's the STAR technique, the management consulting technique of, uh, you know, complication and to whatever, situation, complication, resolution, right? Either way, you want to think of these scenarios and the scenario will have a problem, will have how you know your skills and how it helped overcome that problem and then the final result and as Anne is saying if you wanted to start I guess if you want to zoom out the most you want to think about your audience and what they want right what's the culture they're trying to fit you into the skills the results they want to see everything think about that first paint that picture write it down if you have to then find you know three four five different scenarios depending on how much meat each of the scenarios have on them that showcase your fit into everything that you just described in terms of the culture and everything. And then you can pull on those, you can mine those, as Anne said, um, when answering each individual question. So that's something you need to go through in advance, right? Don't just say, well, I have the methodology, I'll think of it on the fly. You won't, you really need to have these prepared beforehand. Right. So very helpful. And you can do exactly what we're doing here. You can videotape yourself and, and watch yourself answer these questions. You can have someone prompt them for you, or you mm -hmm. can do it on your own. You don't need to have a fancy webinar. You can have a, an iPhone or whatever equivalent you have, but you can be presenting it and listening to yourself. I also, just as an aside, when I'm either practicing, preparing to write a book or preparing for a client meeting or something, I don't do it as much with client meetings, but earlier in my career, I would sit in my car and turn on voice memos. I have an iPhone, not to sell that phone, but turn on the voice memos function, whatever it is, the equivalent, and just be driving, of course not looking at my phone, but talking into it because it's a time management issue. How are you going to fit this all in? But I would talk into it, sometimes not even listen to all of them. I would just, it would prompt me to actually get the words out because the more you say things, your brain hears it, it your body hears it, you memorize it and you become more comfortable and you can relax. Completely agree. I mean, it's it's very similar for you know preparing a presentation for for an interview or for anything. You start with like, let's say you know 
30 PowerPoint slides in very general talking scripts, and then you tighten it and tighten it and tighten it until you have five slides and exactly what you're going to say. In this case, I would just you know get on the phone with another associate, do a video call, and just talk about your scenarios and whatever, and then practice again, but then ask each other questions, do uh, some mock interview questions, and it will slowly tighten up for you, and you'll feel more comfortable with it too. And another point related to that, if you find that you're doing something, you're, you're presenting something over and over and it's just not gelling, it's mm. not coming together, or you get a tightness and, oh, I don't know if this is the right one, listen to that voice. Yeah, great point. Don't try to force it. Like if you, sometimes we think we have the, a, something that's really valuable and because it's to us, like it's a story we, we really want to tell, right? falls flat on everybody else. They're like, I don't really understand that. And we just try harder and harder to force them to understand it. Don't do that. <laughs> if there's one of these scenarios that the story you're telling about sometime when you had conflict, whatever, doesn't make sense. And you get that feedback from somebody, don't get upset. Like just change it for another scenario. Right. Like, and that's why I like recording it over and over because I find that if I do it 20 times, I might say something a little differently each time. But I, I hear myself going off on a tangent where I don't want to go. And then I know, oh, I'm not going down that road. And then I can really, it's like steering the car, you know, you're getting better and better at driving. Yeah, and, and you've brought this up a couple times now, and I'll just, I'll, I'll bring it up more directly. Mm -hmm. Be careful what you say. And right. know that if they're silent, you don't have to fill that space with extra words, especially with behavioral interview questions. because. Many employers, they're taught or they've learned to stay quiet and just to let you talk until you stop yourself. Some people can't stop themselves and you, you'll say things that you don't want to say, whether it's about past employers or whatever. And the reason that happens is because you haven't prepared correctly. Well, or you're nervous. Hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, I have my cup of coffee with me because I thought, oh, what will make me feel comfortable while I'm doing this? While you're in an interview, and one of the things I say in my book, if you're offered coffee, say yes. So you don't have to if you don't drink coffee, but if you're offered water or coffee or something, um, you will want an opportunity to say, oh, interesting question. <laughs> right? Or something. And you give your brain a few seconds to, oh, what is it I'm about to say next? Oh, sh right? But then you don't say that. You're thinking it internally. But in the meantime, your brain is processing for you and getting you ready for the answer. Absolutely. And uh, I think. Feeling relaxed and comfortable, whatever that is, very important. Preparation will help that, um, but it can be the simple things too. Um, right. Not being overly uptight when like you're like, uh oh, here come the behavioral interview questions. Right. Staying relaxed. Well, it's better to look into a cup of coffee than to look down or to look up sideways and oh, you know what is what what's really going on in that person's head is what this, the person on the other side is thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect. So, uh, you know, continuing to talk about how to answer these questions, one thing that we've mentioned a couple times here are skills, right? And so obviously we, our audience here has a lot of technical skills. Um, you know, the, the PhD is kind of a checkbox for that. What we want to talk about and focus on here are the transferable skills, because that's really what they're going to be evaluating during a behavioral interview question. Um, so maybe you can just tell us, you know, in general, what, what are the, some of these most common transferable skills? You mentioned a couple mm -hmm. that employers are evaluating when they ask behavioral questions. Right, and maybe I can plug, if you remind me exactly what it was, an article I saw recently, or maybe it was your last, one of your last webinars, about the skills that 
or it might have been an article, Kathy, or one of you wrote, the skills that PhDs bring that are unique to PhDs. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. um, Where was that so people can find it? Oh yes, that's uh, that's on our our blog. Okay. Um, And people can look for that on the blog. Yeah, when you're talking like the advantages that PhDs have, the skill sets, like like dealing with an overwhelming amount of failure, (laughs) which I'm sure all of you are chuckling to yourself right now. Um, (laughs) Right, right, right. So there's that. Right. Those are what I would call role specific skills. Or education-specific skills, or, or what is specific to you because you're a PhD candidate moving into industry. Mm. Not that only PhDs have it, but what you can sell yourself on yes, um, because yes. of your PhD. But in general, we're looking for leadership, communication skills, teamwork, resiliency. So, right, mm. recovering from failure, skills like that. Project management for scientists is a really important one as well. Um, and one that you will need to demonstrate because you will have a tight budget and you will probably and have deadlines and need to bring something to market generally, right? Depending on what role you're playing. But um, project management is something when you're thinking about your three to five examples, be thinking about those skills and how those can be drawn out as well, because those examples should be robust enough that you can use them in, in various contexts. And if you don't have them, you need to sit down and brainstorm with a piece of paper or with a friend or talk to a mentor or have some colleague really push you on things to, to mm. get those drawn out. Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, you wanna think about things, how, how Anne just framed them, right? So you have your PhD specific skills, your, your, your skills that, you know, is is more from your specific training. Like you know that you have in the lab or the classroom, whatever you had to deal deal with, a, a, you know, failure and uncertainty over and over. Or that as a PhD, uh, by definition, the degree requires you to add to a field, where other degrees do not require that. Like, uh, you know, and so that's important. You can say, well, I'm an innovator, because this is required for this degree. Right. Now, that's different from these skills like leadership, project management, and so forth which are still important and you really need to highlight highlight both especially for on a site visit where you're going to be interviewing not just with PhDs uh, if yeah. any it's going to be non PhDs right so they want to know do you can you manage a project can you work autonomously but at the same time work as a team in cross functional roles like Ann said think about what's needed for that role and make sure you embed that into those scenarios you develop like Ann said or as someone once said to me can they sit with you for 4 hours on a flight and happy to talk to you about, which is a communication skill, mm. right? Because PhDs, I don't want to say there's a bias against PhDs. There isn't necessarily. But to the extent that someone is nervous about hiring a PhD, often it's that, oh, they're so smart, they're so specialized, and they're not going to be able to communicate with the rest of our team or understand the urgency or, or whatever. But what you need to do is be thinking about your language and your presentation and I, again, I think it was something in, in one of the cheeky scientist uh, materials as well. I've seen so much of yours by now. I don't know where I'm pulling things from. But that idea of don't present yourself as, well, I researched this very tiny little topic that, you know, five people have heard of that may have, an, you know, an impact on the rest of the world, but they don't really know it. Like I have friends, a family member actually studying some type of behavior of frogs and what goes into it. And it's very interesting if he presents it to the audience in a way that they can understand it. 
But if he talks about the specifics of his research in a way that um, I can't even, I don't even know the words he's using, I can't get to the vocabulary, and I consider myself a relatively smart individual. If I was interviewing him and all I got were science words, I would say, oh, he is not going to be able to fit into the team. So when you think about communication, there's that piece as well. Yeah, crucial. And, and that goes back to what Ann said at the beginning, you know, knowing your audience and meeting your audience at, at their right. level, and what they're looking for. They're not looking for a bunch of jargon on your thesis. Um, very important. This takes us to the end of this Cheeky Scientist radio podcast episode that you have been listening to. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a review and let us know what you would like to hear more of. If you're interested in transitioning into industry, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address, and we will give you information about our PhD job search blueprint, specifically for PhDs who want to transition into industry, as well as our PhD-only 4,000-plus member private job referral network. Again, go to phdsgethired.com and enter your name and email address now. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional.